It's not over. Even when it's over. Do you believe that? It was Friday, but now it's Sunday. He who was in the grave is now out of the grave. It's not over, even when it's over. Now, I want to encourage you this morning, because some of you probably would like a do-over in your own life. You ever been there? Oh, man, can I just do that over again? I really messed that up. And I want to tell you this morning, you can't do life over again. You can't. You can't go back and change what's there, but I tell you what you can do. You can awaken to the fact through the resurrection of the Lord Jesus Christ and some of those testimonies you just heard on that video that it's not over even when you think it's over. Some of you golfers, you're like, I need a mulligan, man. Can I do that one over again? That was just a terrible shot. That was a terrible display or lack of display of love in a relationship. Or maybe you made a really poor decision that has put your family in an awkward position financially. Maybe there's some other kinds of just dumb decisions you've done that have placed you where you don't want to be. Well, the hope of today is that there is hope no matter where you are at. And I pray through the power of the Lord Jesus Christ, who was raised from the grave and is here through His Spirit today, that you will be receptive to what He wants to not only say to you, but what He would want you even to do in your heart this morning. Will you pray with me? Our Lord Jesus, we are so grateful that it wasn't over even when everybody thought it was over, for you had plans otherwise. And Lord, we just pray that you would take these moments here today as we reflect on your resurrection and as we look into your word to speak to our hearts. Lord, we worship you. We worship you in the grandeur of your power and your splendor through the resurrection. And Lord, we come to you as a needy people, sometimes even as broken people, asking if you would help. Lord, you desired. You desired to help, and that's why you reached down to the heavens, and that's why you were obedient to the cross. And through the power of the resurrection, Lord, you are able to minister to hearts here today, and I just submit this time to you for your name and for your praise. Amen. I want you to know that God, He's not dead. He is surely alive, and He has a plan And His plan is not only for your life after death. He has a plan for your life today. As I sometimes say, I actually said it in a memo I sent out this week, Jesus Christ did not come to make dead people, He did not come to make bad people good, He came to make dead people live. And a lot of times we're really not cognizant that we're sort of dead because we're walking around, blood's pumping through us, we've got responsibilities, we're, we're doing things, we're even having some fun in life, that kind of stuff. But the Scriptures say that without Christ, we have a spiritual deadness that goes on. And so this resurrection uh, sharing that I want to encourage you with today is the reality that Jesus Christ has come to wake you up. And so we've been talking about that as the awakening church. Lord, wake me up to different things. And I want you to know today that you need to be wakened up to a new day. Because the resurrection of Christ inaugurated a new day. And it's a new day that reflects not only a life after death, but your life today. Now, there's a passage in 1 Corinthians that uh, I love that talks about the resurrection of Jesus Christ. And if Christ has not been raised, then we're all just a bunch of bumbling idiot fools for being here. 
Well, it doesn't quite say it that way, but that's sort of what the passage will say if you read through it. And I like the latter part of 1 Corinthians 15 where it says this, Death is swallowed up in victory. O death, where is your victory? O death, where is your sting? For sin is the sting that results in death, and the law gives sin its power. But thank God, He gives us victory over sin and death through our Lord Jesus Christ. Do you think that God was caught off guard by all the events of Passion Week? No. God was actually in control orchestrating those events through the minds and the hearts of the people at hand. You see, God had a plan to radically change this world and bring about a new day. And his plan was in the resurrection of Jesus Christ. You see, the resurrection of Jesus Christ was, well, it was sort of like a pilot project for God. Brokenness in the world, needing hope. He sent his son to die on a cross. The cross represents salvation, him taking upon himself the sins of all mankind. Forgiveness of sins. But if the cross did not have the resurrection behind it, then the cross would have no power. The resurrection of Jesus Christ was a pilot project he put in motion for all people to experience resurrection power. In Scripture it says this. In 1 Corinthians 15, But Christ has indeed been raised from the dead, the first fruits of those who have fallen asleep. For since death came through a man, the resurrection of the dead comes also through a man. Let's stop right there. But Christ has indeed been raised from the dead, the first fruits. What are the first fruits? It's like when the orange tree starts having the fruit there or whatever, and you go and you pluck the first fruit means what? There's a bunch of more fruit coming. And so Jesus' resurrection was highlighting what would be many resurrections to come. For since death came through a man, the resurrection of the dead comes also through the man, the Son of Man, Jesus Christ. It goes on then. It says this, For as in Adam all die. We're all human beings. That's what it means to be in Adam. We all die. There is no one here outside of Jesus Christ may be coming back before you pass away that is not going to face death. For as in Adam all die, so in Christ all will be made alive. But each in his own turn. Christ, there we go, the first fruits, then, underline it, when he comes, those who belong to him. Then, underline that, The end will come when he hands over the kingdom to God the Father after he has destroyed all dominion and authority and power. It was a pilot project in this sense. It begins with the resurrection of Jesus Christ. It will roll into the resurrection of all people who belong to Christ. And I don't know about you this morning, but I'd want to be in that group. And then... The resurrection and the new kingdom and the new heaven and the new earth. So God through Christ enters into history, not only provides the sacrifice for the forgiveness of sin, but through the power of the resurrection begins to set in order a new day, a new hope for all people. You were 
born to live. You were not born to die. Jesus didn't come to make bad people good. He came to make dead people live. And to live forever, yes. But to live in His resurrection power fullness today. You see, sometimes I think in Christian churches, we have, um, well, we've just not done the resurrection justice. We have the cross up here, and that's great. You know, I, I, you know and we had a great Good Friday service, and uh, I, I'm glad that the cross is empty. I don't know about you, maybe you grew up in a tradition where Jesus was still on the cross, and, and, and that's fine if that helps you as an image to remember Christ's death and His sacrifice for you. But I am so glad that the cross is empty. And that's why we have an empty cross up here today. Because he's not on the cross anymore. But he's not in the grave either. I, I'd like to have like an empty tomb up here. If anybody can do that for next year. I, I just want the empty tomb. Because we focus and we wear it around our neck. As Christians, a lot of times crosses. So the cross is symbolic. But you need to know that there's more than the cross. The cross has no power without the resurrection. And so we should maybe be wearing empty tombs around our neck or something. I don't know. Because the reality is God inaugurated a new day through the resurrection that we need to lean into as believers. And if you're not a follower of Christ this morning, you need to begin understanding and trying to discover what God's wanting you to do and what he already did. Because this new day is a powerful day that propels us into the future. But a lot of times we just sort of tack the resurrection on the end of the crucifixion and say, well, you know, it was, it was sort of the happy ending to a really gory story. And, you know, God, well, yeah, Jesus rose from the dead and now he sort of went to heaven. And uh, what the resurrection means is, is we get to have we get to have life after death. So that's all great. And the world stands by and goes, I don't care. I don't care because I'm living today. Well, that's where we mess up a lot of times. Because the resurrection is for today. It's not over, even when it's over. And the resurrection is what comes and brings power into whatever place you are at in life and says there is hope for change, transformation. Jesus Christ was raised from the dead. You know, he spent 40, 40 days walking around. Everybody some appearances of him, right? And he was resurrected to a new body. Some recognized, some didn't. But it wasn't like, oh yeah, that's, that's a total other character. No. We need to understand that these frail, broken bodies we have will be raised to a new, imperishable body. And that imperishable body will have a transformation that's a part of it. You see, in the New Testament, to those followers of that day, resurrection wasn't just some nice ending to the Passion Week and a hope for heaven and the afterlife. The resurrection meant that the physical body that dies can come alive. The physical body that dies can come alive. Now, there were all kinds of stories moving around during that time. People say, well, you know, it was just sort of wish fulfillment. His followers just sort of, they were sad. And so they wished that, you know, their leader was okay. Or, you know, as, as uh, some sociological term calls it, there was cognitive dissonance that was going on. They so badly wanted their leader to be alive that uh, they, they just began maybe seeing images of him or other things that were going on and starting telling stories. And wrong answer. The New Testament people did not expect Jesus 
to be raised from the dead. It's one of the misnomers, and we'll look at it in a second when we look at uh, one of his appearances um, to his followers. But there was no expectation that someone who died would be raised to life. Now, Jewish people, some of the Jews thought there was going to be a general uh, resurrection of all people at the end of time. But nobody believed that an individual would die and be raised. And so here they were, giving accolades of the Messiah, who, well, they hoped he was the Messiah. They thought he was the Messiah. And then he ends up being crucified on a cross, a criminal's death between two criminals. It was a crushing blow to those followers. And you need to know this. In those times, if you had called and picked down a Messiah and your leader got killed by the authorities, you picked the wrong guy. That's, and you only had two choices. You either had to just end your revolution or you had to find a new leader. Those were your only two picks. You didn't have the option of going around saying, well, I think he's alive now. They would look at you as surely as modern day people would look at that thought. If you walked into their life and said, you know, my friend, my parent who died three days ago, they just came back to life. You're nuts. Sometimes we impose upon ancient history superstitious of people. Well, maybe they thought that. And, and there can be some truth in those kinds of aspects. But friends, they were human beings just like us. People don't come alive after they're dead. Jesus died. There's no question about that. He wasn't placed in the tomb in some type of swoon theory where he just sort of, you know, dozed off on the cross. That was a pretty intense thing, man. He's out of it. I think he's dead. Let's take him down. No, Romans were professional killers. They were. They knew how to kill the bad dudes, in their opinion, right? They would have never allowed an almost dead type of rebel to remain in that state. He'd be dead. Thus, the piercing of the sword and all the checking. Their whole lives were on stake. The the, uh, Roman soldiers, and they didn't kill him. They would be killed, probably. And so Jesus died on the cross. And with that, were the crushing, crushing blows to his followers. It's done. It's over. It's done. It's over. What do we do now? Well, when Jesus came back on that third day. And it was the third day by a Jewish calendar, by the way, if you're ever confused about that. In the, in the Jewish world, a part of a day counted a whole day. So there was Friday, and then there was Saturday, and then there was Sunday. So three days later, probably in the early dawn before the sun came up, Jesus Christ rose from inside that tomb with the stone rolled there. An earthquake rolled the stone away. The Roman guards fled because they were freaking out. The tomb was empty. Jesus Christ came back in this powerful explosion of um, not just supernaturalness, but in full, redeemed, transformed uh, being in his body. And that essence of which he came back 
gives us hope that with these frail bodies that are broken that we have, we will be given this new life. And so the resurrection is not about, oh, there's hope for afterlife. No, there is hope for this day, for God to quicken our bodies, to quicken our minds, to quicken our emotions, to be able to intercede and direct us in paths of righteousness that we need to be walking. There is nothing about this day that the power of the resurrection doesn't touch in your life and in mine. And so if you're just floating through another Easter weekend, oh, that was a nice thing. I want you to take serious consideration of what the resurrection meant, not only then, for for what it means today in your life. You know, historians cannot explain away easily the resurrection of Jesus Christ. If you were to look at historians today, most everybody, and everybody's a legitimate historian, would say there was a Jesus, as recorded through things that were written. He died a cruel death on a cross. He was placed in a tomb. Somehow that tomb became empty. And then after the, resur- after the empty tomb, his followers got all ramped up and excited that something had happened, and they started this Christian movement. Any historian would give credence to that. But the question is, did he really rise from the dead, or what was going on? Or was it just wishful thinking, cognitive dissonance, as I mentioned? But then the historian has to explain this. If Jesus Christ didn't really rise from the dead, why did those people carry on, and why does the Christian faith exist today? It would have died if he really hadn't physically been raised from the dead. They were clamoring for a Messiah. But what kind of a Messiah would he have been? He didn't, take, you know, he didn't uh, defeat the pagans. He didn't rebuild the temple. He didn't establish justice and peace in the world. All those things were expectations of a Messiah. Jesus didn't do those things. In that moment of time. So why would they carry on and clamor that this was the Messiah? Unless there was the power of the resurrection. And the power of the resurrection changes their testimony. The power of the resurrection establishes the Christian faith. And the movement of God's pilot project throughout all generations. And here we sit or stand here this morning. In a moment in time in God's cosmic time plan. And we need to understand that we are in the beginning of a resurrection that will last throughout all of eternity and all that what God is doing. And it changes everything. This scripture I read next. It comes out of 2 Corinthians 5.17. It says, Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has gone, the new has come. All this is from God, who reconciled us to himself through Christ and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. That God was reconciling the world to himself in Christ and not counting men's sins against them. If he was the Messiah, don't you think he would do something with this world? I'm a news person. Do you ever ask yourself why you do that to yourself sometimes? Watch the news or read the news? It's sort of discouraging. We got this trauma happening here, this problem happening there, this evidence of sin portraying itself out and evil in another direction. Surely if there's a Messiah in this world, he'd be doing something about what's going on. He is. He is. But he's doing it in the hearts and the lives of individual people first. Ever had anybody ask you if you'd like to be president of the United States of America? I have. 
And my answer is, no way. I'm not probably a very good politically correct person, and there's a lot going on out there in that world. doesn't mean we shouldn't be involved in it and, and vote well with the God's leading in our hearts. But to step down from the opportunity that I get, that you get as followers of Jesus Christ, that's what it would be, stepping down. Because we are part of God's redemptive plan for the ages. And what He's first doing is changing the hearts and lives of people. That's why in this passage it said that we are a new creation. He is creating new people in their heart that begins to affect their behavior. It was funny this week, I I had the opportunity, Melissa and I had the opportunity to uh, have dinner with a couple we had never met. We were encouraged to connect with them. We connected with them. And they're sharing over their table their testimony of what God was doing. And it was just so precious because they're, they're um, you know, down the road a few years, and they're reflecting back 15 years ago on what God had done in their life. And um, the gentleman himself, he goes, you know, he says, uh, and he starts to tear up 15 years after he's made a new creation. He starts to tear up, and he says, God just changed my life in a radical way. And his wife said, yeah, his family were dumbfounded. They didn't know what had gone on with him because he used to be an angry person. He used to be this kind of person, but he had changed. She had, she, uh, he had changed. And I thought, what a powerful testimony of the new creation and the power of the resurrection, that which we celebrate today. God did the pilot project, the first fruits through Christ. Then those who belong to him, he will one day resurrect. But his resurrection power is within them, animating. And you and I, if we're followers of him, changing us and transforming us from one degree of likeness to another, Scripture says. And one of these days, we will be resurrected with new heavenly spiritual bodies, yes, that can live forever, after the grave or if the Lord returns. And then there's the ultimate resurrection of the new heaven and the new earth. God is at work. And this was his moment in time with the Easter Passion Week, where Jesus, the pivotal event of all history, came down and He changed and rocked the world. Has He rocked your world? Has He changed your life? Have you allowed the power of the resurrection to give you hope? What are you pursuing? A couple weeks ago, we put up a list of all the different kinds of things we can pursue, and all of them are are legitimate and probably fun and good you can pursue. But, But the ultimate thing, are you pursuing new life in Christ and His kingdom? And are you participating in His work of all the ages? That's what I want to be about. That's what I want to be about in God's work in my life. That's what I want to be about in calling us to labor for Him. Because there is nothing greater to give your life to than what God's doing and what God's business is in all this world. And we are to live in this day and age. This is the message of the uh, resurrection. We are to live in this day and age as resurrected new creations in Christ. I want to read for you. I try to always keep things fresh in my heart so we never get the same old, same old. And that's true of the Passion Holidays a lot of times. And one of the gentlemen I started reading after a few years ago is a man by the name of N.T. Wright, Tom Wright. He's probably one of the best uh, New Testament theologians uh, today in what he writes. I came across this article called The Church Must Stop Trivializing Easter. Christians must keep their nerve. The resurrection isn't a metaphor. It's a physical fact. And he says this in there. He says, Easter is about a new creation that has already begun. God is remaking his world, challenging all other powers that think that is their job. 
the rich, wise order of creation and its glorious, abundant beauty are reaffirmed on the other side of the thing that always threatens justice and beauty. What's that? Death. Christianity's critics have always sneered that nothing has changed, but everything has. The world is a different place. Easter has been sidelined because this message doesn't fit our prevailing worldview. For at least 200 years, the West has lived on the dream that we can bring justice and beauty to the world all by ourselves. The world wants to hush up the real meaning of Easter. Death is the final weapon of the tyrant, or for that matter, the Antichrist, and resurrection indicates that this weapon doesn't have the last word. When the church begins to work with Easter energy, I like that, on the twin task of justice and beauty in our world, we may find that it can face down the sneers of skeptics and speak once more of Jesus in the way that will be heard by people today. Awaken me to the new day. Everything has changed, not only for eternity and life after death, but everything has changed for our labor and our hope and our life today because of the empty tomb. So when we worship and we celebrate that God's not dead, that He's still alive, may that we just not be mimicking those words, but may we believe it and receive it into our life, and then may we encourage one another in this. Death, where is your victory? Death, where is your sting? It's done. It's done. And no matter how down and out you are, how much of a do-over you want to have in your life, when you wake up every morning, you wake up on the resurrected side of history. And we have this hope to carry and to steward. And that's what I offer you today, especially if you do not belong to Christ. I want us to look at one of the resurrection appearances that Jesus had with His followers. Actually, His first appearance on the other side of the grave. This person could actually be called the first Christian. For one who is a Christian is one who believes in the life, death, and the resurrection of Jesus Christ and has endeared themselves to Him. If you have your scripture, you can turn with me. It's in John 20. John 20 says this, On the first day of the week, while it was still dark, Mary Magdalene went to the tomb and saw that the stone had been removed from the entrance. Now, Mary Magdalene had traveled with Jesus. She was one of His followers. He had transformed her life. Do you remember what's said of Mary Magdalene? Now, there's about five different Marys in Scripture. So don't get confused. Mary Magdalene, Jesus freed of seven unclean spirits. That's some radical transformation. So she came running to Simon Peter and the other disciples, the one Jesus loved, and said, They have taken the Lord out of the tomb, and we don't know where they have put Him. Let me stop there a second. I don't know about you. You have to understand... They were not expecting Jesus to be raised from the dead. If you went to Mark, and a Gospel of Mark, Mark 8, Mark 9, and Mark 10, each of those three chapters, Jesus says, the Son of Man must suffer many things, be killed, and would raise on the third day. But they weren't expecting it. Jewish people, they didn't expect dead people to come to life, all right? But yet he had prophesied that he would come to life. Now, what would happen today? Maybe somebody prophesied. I would have gotten all the TV trucks out there, the video cameras. We've been going spot on. Hey, it's the third day. What's going to happen here? Woo! This is going to be, this is going to be good footage, man. No one was there. They didn't expect him to come alive. 
And so she runs to the tomb. And she sees that the tomb is empty. And it doesn't cross her mind. It doesn't cross her mind that he's been raised from the dead. What crosses her mind? Somebody's taken him. Somebody's taken him. He's not there. And we don't know where they have put him. Verse 3, so Peter and the other disciples started for the tomb, both running. But the other disciple outran Peter. That's John. He never liked to use his name in Scripture. And reached the tomb first. Bragging rights, I guess. He bent over and looked at the strips of linen lying there, but did not go in. Then Simon Peter, who was behind him, arrived and went into the tomb. And he saw the strips of linen lying there, as well as the burial cloth that had been around Jesus' head. The cloth was folded up by itself, separate from the linen. Finally, the other disciple who had reached the tomb first also went inside and he saw and he believed. Well, they believed that he wasn't there. They still did not understand the scripture that Jesus had to rise from the dead. Then the disciples went back to their homes. But Mary stood outside the tomb crying. As she wept, she bent over and looked into the tomb and saw two angels in white seated where Jesus' body had been, one at the head and the other at the foot. They asked her, Woman, why are you crying? Now I want to share this with you. I think it's important for us to reckon uh, with this reality. That Jesus Christ Jesus Christ had followers of Him who were so so endeared to the hopes that they have in Him that they probably went into a state of depression. Alright? Crushing blows. Their would-be Messiah was dead. They did not think through all that was happening that God was doing anything new. But He was. In fact, the, uh, one of the other Marys, Mary, the mother of Jesus. Um, it was interesting. Uh, my son Ryan went with some uh, uh, his friends from college to watch the Passion, or they sat together and watched the Passion of the Christ. Some of you've seen the Passion of Christ, right? It's been ten years now since that movie's been out. And in the Passion of the Christ, um, there's this little snippet of Mother Mary seeing Jesus carrying the cross and crushing underneath the cross. And she has a flashback of when she was a mother and her little Jesus stumbled along the path. And with her mother instinct, she ran and tried to, to help Jesus from falling. And in the Passion of the Christ, and Ryan was saying this really caught him and refreshed his mind from when he'd watched it before. And I remember it to myself. Jesus is carrying the cross. He stumbles and falls. And Mel Gibson in the Passion of the Christ has Mary go and meet him in that moment. Do you remember it? In fact, here's the picture of it. Uh, we can go back to that. And he said, he used a word out of Revelation, Revelation 21.5, Behold, I am making all things new. Now, Mel Gibson, I think he used the word woman. I am making all things new. And so there's this sweet, intimate moment in that Passion of the Christ movie 
taking a scripture from the last book of the Bible when Jesus will make all things new and he brings it into the context of the current day through the crucifixion and then ultimately the resurrection saying something new is going to happen. But here is Mary, Mary Magdalene. Her heart is broken. She is crying because the Messiah, the least she could do was come and, and give him a better a burial thing. He's gone. He doesn't know where to take it. And she is devastated as are her followers of what's going on. And in that moment, she has not a awakened to the new day. Are you in that state? Maybe even spiritually? Maybe you're inquisitive, but you've not had the supernatural awakening that Mary's about to experience, Mary Magdalene here, in the appearance of Jesus? Jesus comes, and or the angels here ask question, woman, why are you crying? It's interesting, God does this in scriptures, like Adam and Eve. Remember when Adam and Eve sinned? He said, where are you? Well, he knew where they were. Or why do you feel ashamed? You know, he came to Jonah and spoke to Jonah about his anger. Why, why are you so angry? God, through his spirit, will speak to you. And he's probably speaking to you this morning if you're not a follower of him. And he's just basically saying something like, where are you at? Why don't you believe? Why are you crying? God wants you to discover new hope, that it's a new day, a new resurrection power in your own life. There's three things I want to say concerning a Christ-centered faith. The first is this. The first is this, that a Christ-centered faith is impossible without God. It's impossible without God. They were not expecting Jesus Christ to be raised from the dead. You're not expecting it if you're a normal human being. That just doesn't happen. You see, we are sort of dead in our sin, Scripture says. And it's only by God's compelling coming to us and speaking a voice that we can come alive. What's He saying to you? Faith is impossible without God. The second thing is this. Faith is not only impossible. Actually, I, wanna, I, I forgot a quote here. I want to go to a quote concerning an atheist who said this. This is just sober reminding yourself of the condition you can be in. Thomas Nagel says this. He's a philosopher, secular atheist. He says, I want atheism to be true. And I am made uneasy by the fact that some of the most intelligent and well-informed people I know are religious believers. It isn't just that they don't believe in God and naturally hope that, and, and naturally hope that I'm right in my belief. It's that I hope there is no God. He goes on and says this. I don't want there to be a God. I don't want the universe to be like that. My guess is that this cosmic authority problem is not a rare condition. I am curious whether there is anyone who genuinely is indifferent to whether there is a God. Now, I admire this philosopher's honesty. Faith is impossible without God because left to ourselves, we don't want there to be a God. If there's a God, there's some type of control that's going to be changing place in our life. And the way that we are dead in our sins, we don't want that to be happening. Now, if you find yourself in that boat this morning, let me encourage you this way. Doubt your doubt. Be skeptical about your skepticism. And be slow to make a judgment. In fact, you can even go one step further. Ask Jesus to speak to you. Dead in transgressions and sins, we are without hope. It is impossible without God. But Christ-centered faith is not only possible without God, doesn't mean it's unrealistic 
Because faith is rational. Faith is rational, but yet it's beyond reason. Faith in God is never irrational, but it is super rational. The cloth was all folded up. They came in and they looked at it. They would investigate just like we would investigate with CSI stuff today, you know? Like, hey, what was going on here? Why is that all folded up? Empty tomb. What's happening here? If he wasn't really dead and he got up and ripped down on themselves, then the cloth would be torn somehow. If his friends came in and took his body, then why would they strip him naked to take him out? That's quite embarrassing. If the enemy came and took him, then why is it all folded up? They wouldn't have taken time. That's why the detail's there. The detail's there adding to the power of the reality of the resurrection for the skeptical mind. There is reason to believe in the power of the resurrection. And I encourage you, if you're a skeptic, don't be so quick. You, we have to admit that there's part of us that doesn't want to believe that there's a God. So faith is impossible without God. If it's impossible, doesn't mean that it's irrational. It's rational, but it's beyond reason. And the last thing I want to say on this is that it's grace-filled in every way possible. Let's go back to the passage. They ask her, Woman, why are you crying? In verse 13 of chapter 20 of John. They have taken my Lord away, she said, and I don't know where they have put him. At this, she turned around and saw Jesus standing there. But she did not realize that it was Jesus. You got the picture in your eye? Woman, he said, why are you crying? Who is it you're looking for? There's that speaking voice of Jesus coming to you. Thinking he was the gardener, she said, Sir, if you have carried him away, tell me where you have put him and I will get him. Yes, an incredible response. Jesus said to her, Mary. She turned toward him and cried out in Aramaic, Rabboni, which means teacher. Jesus said, Do not hold on to me, for I have not yet returned to the Father. Go instead to my brothers and tell them, I am returning to my Father and your Father, to my God and your God. Mary Magdalene went to the disciples with the news. I have seen the Lord. And she told them that he had said these things to her. Jesus Christ, when he comes and he speaks to you and when he wants to change your day, when he wants to bring you into the resurrection power that will transform you and the world through all of eternity, he does it in a very personable way. Grace-filled and always personal. He comes different ways at different times in different manners to each one of us. But when He comes, and if you are not a part of belonging to Him this morning, He will come to you and He will speak your name, I believe. We've said that the shepherd, the good shepherd, has his flock and the sheep know his voice. Respond to the voice. Mary. Immediately the scales fall from her eyes. She goes and hugs on to him, probably kneeling his feet. Rabboni! And he says, get off of me. He says, let go. She didn't want to lose him again. Never will I lose you again. He says, I've not ascended to the Father. I will always be with you because I'll send my spirit to indwell within you. Mary, the first Christian the first person to believe in the resurrection, went back to the disciples. Of course, there was doubting Thomas and other things. We're actually going to be talking about Peter and the restoration of Peter next Sunday morning. But Jesus, in an incredibly tender moment, 
brings this person to full faith. He's doing the same, I believe, here in a day such as this. Romans chapter 10 says this, If you confess with your mouth Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised Him from the dead, you will be saved. For it is with your heart that you believe and are justified. It is with your mouth that you confess and are saved. As the Scripture says, anyone who trusts in Him will never be put to shame. I'm going to invite Chris and Melissa to come up. They have a great song that they're going to sing and we can sing together and close. But I want to give you a moment of opportunity for you to place your belief in Christ. Faith is impossible without God, but I believe God desires all people to be saved and His Spirit's voice speaks even this hour. It's rational, but it's beyond reason. That's why they call it faith. Faith is not wishing for something that didn't happen. Faith is believing in something you don't see. What you do is you place your faith in the hope of Christ and His resurrection. And you receive Him into your life as Savior and Lord. Grace filled in every way. He speaks softly and tenderly. How about you, my friend? How about you? If you want to be a part of this tremendous awakening of a new day and the transformation of all the world, there's the first fruits in Christ, then those who belong to Him, then when the kingdom is handed over, the kingdom of God. But only to those who belong to Him. Do you belong to Him? He will never put to shame anybody who places their trust in Him. Maybe you did that as a young person in life, but your life's been wayward and you really have been outside the bounds of pursuing and serving Jesus Christ. I don't know. He welcomes you back into the fold. My sheep know my voice. That's why He's speaking to you right now and your heart's pounding a little bit because you're a part of His fold, but you've been wayward out here. Maybe you've never come into His fold and that voice is speaking to you for the first time this morning. Cross that line of faith. The man of sorrows who gave his life and was raised from the dead is here through his spirit asking you if you would receive him by faith. And yes, become a Christian. I don't know. Maybe you've come across ugly Christians before. Maybe you have all kinds of doubts going on. Friend, a Christian is a Christ follower. And I know of no one who really disses on Jesus Christ. You wouldn't be here today if that was true of your life. But you may be here today acknowledging in Him a name but never receiving Him personally as Lord. I now give you that opportunity. On the back of those connection cards, if you'll pull one of those out, just a bunch of open lines. I'm going to actually do an exercise if, if you feel led to do it. We're going to receive these cards with the Lord's tithes and offerings here during this song. But I want you to consider stepping across the line of faith. And I'm going to ask you to fill it out with an A, B, or a C. An A, B, or a C. And this is the question. 
Have you crossed the line of faith and placed your hope and trust in Jesus Christ as your resurrected Lord and Savior? Your personal belief. A. Put A down. I've already placed my faith in Christ. B. B if it's your day. Believing today in Christ as my Savior. I want to cross that line of faith. I want Him to come, bring His resurrection power within me and begin changing my life. Or C. You know, I'm considering it, Carrie, but I need more time. Now, sometimes I thought I would put a D up there for people to say, don't intend to do that ever. I don't think that's possible because the Spirit's always working on you. It was once referenced to me this way, the hound of heaven is on your trail. The hound of heaven is the Lord Himself through His Spirit. A, B, or C. If you're in the B category today, I want you to pray with me right now. Lord, I don't know a lot about this faith. There's a lot of things I'd like to see that I don't see. There's a lot of questions I may still have, but in this moment, Jesus, I want to place my faith in you. A faith that is beyond reason. A faith that is made possible because you're speaking to me and drawing near to me right now. A faith that is tenderly being given. Grace-filled not only in uh, content, but also in context. Lord Jesus, come into my life. I repent of my sin. I turn from indifference to you or waywardness to you. Come into my life. Take lordship. Take the reins to, to lead again. For I know there is freedom even though I'm releasing control to you. Lord, I love you. And from this day forward, I will seek to serve you as you help me. In your name I pray. Amen.